Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I'm joined today by Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, today is a day, a palate cleanser, if you will, is what this episode is, right? Yeah, so as the um, as the resident, uh, well, permanent resident Canadian, I'm going to say sorry for last episode, for the Halloween episode. Yeah, that because... is the most self-indulgent thing we do all year. Well, the most self-indulgent thing I do on air all year. And, um, but you know what? It's super fun. We had a blast. Hopefully you liked it too. And if not, it'll be a good 11 months before we do it again, but we will be doing it again. But what we do like to do is we like to say sorry, um, or sorry. And and so we like to, instead of that nonsense, we like to feature people who are doing good, right? Doing good as part of, uh, part of what we do. And so we're going to interview a couple of different uh, organizations today, actually, uh, three people total working for two different organizations on some of the great works they're doing to help protect and restore uh, the Great Lakes. But before we do, I think we all know what time it is because it's been a long time, been a long time, not since I've rock and rolled, although that too, um, because I'm aging and we rock and roll less as we age. And in fact, society rocks and rolls less than it ever has. But my point is this. And now it's time for the Great Lakes News. Here's your host, Stuart Carlton. Thank you for that, Stuart. And here with the Great Lakes News, news from the lakes you love, is Sandra Svoboda. She is the program director for Great Lakes Now. You can find out what they do, speaking of great organizations, at uh, greatlakesnow.org, right? Yes, thanks for having me. That the music cracks me up every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, high quality and very professional, uh, like everything else we do. So how's it going, Sandra? First of all, since it is the um, season of giving, this is the season of giving, why don't you give us 30 seconds on what, I mean, people know, because they listen and they go to greatlakesnow.org, but on, on what you can do and where people can go to help out your great organization. What is the number one thing people can do, I guess? Uh, oh my gosh, the number one thing people can do, honestly, is tell us what difference we're making. Hey, you know, we are proud of our work, Stuart. We know it is a quality monthly program we put together that airs on public TV. Oh, I thought we you meant this. Have... I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, this too, of course, this too. But we, um, yeah, we put out the show and it's gotten a lot of accolades and we get good feedback. We are posting really fun news stories on our website uh, nearly every day. We do lesson plans with every show that we're using in classrooms and other educational centers. And uh, we do our watch parties on Facebook. They're free to everybody twice a month. Uh, they get a, People get a chance to come in and see our work, ask questions live um, of the scientists and experts and others that are in those shows. But, you know, honestly, the, we, are, we are, of course, always looking for support like other nonprofits, Giving Tuesday coming up here. But also, you know, we want to hear from our audiences. Did, did you read or hear something or watch something from us? that really made you change, that made the way that changed the way you looked at something or you took some action. I mean, those are the stories we want to hear. And, you know, who knows, maybe we'll feature somebody just saying, just saying, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for that time, Stuart. Yeah, no, no. Thank you for everything. And that's true. Get in touch. So that's something we've noticed is that, you know, we have a, a, a decent sized audience, but it's really, you don't always hear from, you hear from very few people in the audience. Right. And so it's really gratifying to hear um, uh, the difference that you're making, or in our case, to hear your uh, complaints or fart jokes or whatever, and all of which are fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So reach out, reach out to, to Sandra. Uh, fantastic. So I have a feeling 
that you have three stories, but I don't want bad news. Ain't nobody bring, don't nobody bring me no bad news, as they say in the whiz, which was my senior year right. high school play. <laughs> Not senior year, sophomore year. And then I left that school. Anyway, don't nobody bring me no bad news. What do we got today, Sandra? Well, I've got three stories from you recently posted on our site. And um, yes, you asked me for for good news. So these are kind of, you know, feel good stories about the Great Lakes. There are many of those. We cover the environmental issues, but we also have a, really a lot of good things that are going around a lot going on around the lakes um, and the communities that connect. So what should we start with? What do you want to start with, Stuart? Uh, you want to start with birds or yes. video games? All right. No, we can start with birds. I, we do have to, birds. we're going to, but if we're going to start with birds, we are going to recognize that we're operating under what I call Foley's assumption. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, assuming that they are real, um, which is not something that we're guaranteed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Foley's assumption. All right. Duly noted. Oh, dear. dear. All right. Okay. Working under Foley's assumption. What do we got? So, uh, Stuart, we're going to have a quiz. Okay. Is the region's piping plover population. The PPP is what I call it. The PPP increasing or decreasing this year? Actually, I know this one. I know this one because I just Googled it. The population is (laughs) increasing? Excellent work. I mean... Oh, I forgot awesome. to do the thing. We have a whole spiel. Hold <laughs> you're on. Fine, you're fine. No, you're no, fine. it's no, all no, good. No, 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 no. We're all no. good. Hold on. No. Increasing. Right. So this was probably <laughs> the lamest suspense that we could have provided because we already talked about how these are good news. Look, stories, you're the so. news professional. Right? Uh, you know, <laughs> usually. <laughs> Except when I come on here somehow. But. <laughs> yeah, we have that. We have that. Uh, we have a bad, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, so Great Lakes now has uh, had some segments on the piping plovers. Of course, there were Monty and Rose that were very famous in Chicago. That's a sad story. We won't get into that right now. But uh, other media outlets like Michigan Radio have been following uh, the population. So we actually interviewed the Michigan Radio reporter who did recently did a piece looking at the numbers of uh, the endangered birds this year. They are endangered, Stuart. Even though they may not exist, they are endangered. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is the biggest brood of fledglings that we have seen uh, for the plover since they were listed as federally endangered. Um, that happened in 1986. So uh, they have counted 150 fledglings. That means they lived more than 23 days. Born to 72 breeding pairs around that. the Great Lakes. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got, um, it's it's a part of our segment called The Catch, which is always in the end of our show, our monthly show. And uh, we, of course, and in shameless self-promotion, which you know is my favorite hobby, we have lots of footage of cute little plovers hopping around yes. the beaches. No, I watched this. It's, it's a, you can watch, there's a two minute video, right? And so it, it take two minutes and watch the, uh, um, what did the woman call them on our show? The cotton balls with toothpick legs. Uh, <laughs> and totally worth watching. Now I'm going to push back, Sandra. I'm going to push back on this. I don't think Monty and Rose are sad news. It's sad uh, that, that they died. But the thing is, raising awareness, I mean, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but things are born to die. <laughs> and um, uh, this but, was supposed but, to be good news, Stuart. What happened to the happy? It's, as Gandalf here? said, "What do you do? What do you do with the time that you have?" And Monty and Rose raised amazing. Monty awareness. and Rose is a great story. So for people who don't know, they, I mean, and who doesn't know about Monty and Rose, so I'm probably wasting this breath here telling your audience. But Monty and Rose were a pair of plovers that were on Montrose Beach in Chicago. Uh, you know, the endangered birds, and there was a huge community effort to protect them. 
and like you said, gained a lot of attention for nature, to put it mildly. Um, and you know, Stuart, if it is a happy story about Monty and Rose because it also inspired several, at least two different beers named after go. the Plovers. So. And I've inspired no beers. So uh, what have <laughs> yeah. I done? Yeah. Yet, yet, Stuart. Yet. <laughs> All right, I'm, let's move on. We got to keep it tight and bright. All tight right. and bright. Okay, Band-Aids. yes, that's right. We said this was going to be short today. Okay. So in other news, which I believe falls in the good news category, I think most people would, certainly in this audience, but um, up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, Stuart, if we were a visual podcast, I'd make you do the hand thing if you've learned uh, being new to the Midwest of, right? You got the Michigan mitten, but then if you turn your left hand the other way. And, yeah, okay. I, I'm, I, don't, I, I don't have the Michigan mitten. <laughs> Carolyn is demonstrating it. <laughs> My wrist. Excellent. I got carpal tunnel. I can't do that. Anyway. Well done. <laughs> All right. So the Keweenaw Peninsula is the North. America's North high five. Of... That's what Michigan is. Right. America's high five. <laughs> Michigan is. So the Keweenaw is that little piece. That it's the far northernmost part of that juts into Lake Superior. A very, very beautiful place. And kind of the jumping off point to Isle Royale as well. And tens of thousands of acres up there will now remain undeveloped and open to the public. I should make this a multiple choice quiz for you, Stuart, but we'll just move on and tell you it's because the Nature Conservancy has purchased them. Um, They were owned by a hedge fund owner and the Nature Conservancy, you know, as part of land trusts and other actions like this around the country um, are, have, have bought the property for millions of gazillions of dollars and are going to keep it open for recreation, presumably research, native fishing. I mean, on and on and on the the good benefits of that. Uh, if you're not somebody who is looking for making profit out of the land or putting development all along the shore, is good news. So it is. And this is beautiful, well. beautiful, beautiful land yeah, looking at the... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's and this story comes to us from, again, one of our partners um, from Kelly House at Bridge, Michigan. But that story's on our site and... Um, yeah, she goes into a lot of the dynamics that are involved in the trust and the benefits and the little bit of the history of the Kiwana up there. And and um, they're looking to hopefully get a few thousand more acres of land yeah. going there. So, so what are they doing yeah. with the land? Is it just set aside or can people uh, people go there? What is the... Uh, so the land has been fairly... So the, 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 the land has been owned by the hedge fund and has remained open to people. The concern when the fund listed the land for sale is, what would happen, right? I mean, it's no, we just had a, again, shameless self-promotion. We just had a segment in our show about the Traverse City area and the tension between losing agricultural land for housing. I mean, who doesn't want to live around the Great Lakes if they can? And uh, and so the need for housing, you know, basic economics, right? Supply and demand. So more housing going in and, and you know, a lot more people working remotely and having the connections and you can live in more remote areas. And so you know, a big fear that a lot of the pristine wilderness that makes the UP what it is would be disappearing for land. So anytime a track like that's put up for sale, that's one of the first fears of will this all be developed and the moose will have to change their travel routes, for example, or the Keweenaw is a, is a, is a uh, point for migratory birds before they cross Lake Superior, an important point there. So I mean, a, a lot of elements like that around, again, nature. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, so 31,000 beautiful uh, acres. Yeah. Gazillions. Gazillions. Yeah. 31 gazillion yeah. thousand beautiful acres. That is good news. Hit me one more time. What else you got? All right. So video games. Using yes. the power of video games for good. So this story comes to us from John Hardig, um, 
who of course is known to a lot of your audience, but his most famous thing he does is write for Great Lakes Now once a month in a column called Great Lakes Moment. We publish it the first Monday of each month. So look for it there or, you know, sign up for our newsletter. You'll yeah, get you notices. So anyway, it's a uh, video game developed and it is still in development. So you can try the tutorial and try it out. Um, it's called My Watershed. So it's um, available through the University of Windsor. And it um, basically gives you a map and several factors uh, of measuring environmental quality or degradation. And you can influence those by kind of playing cards and then seeing the effects. So you get like status updates on population, turbidity, insect and fish populations. That first population was people, I should clarify. So people, insect and fish populations. Um, also, the fun thing of sewage level yeah. and water temperature. <laughs> and then you click and play your cards and have different impacts on the environment. One of them allows you to place volunteers in certain places, right? So only if that was so easy to click and place dozens of volunteers to clean up and monitor and research. Uh, but it's a fun little game that um, certainly, I mean, I looked at it and was a little bit overwhelmed because, you know, not a scientist like the rest of you here. So there were some words I didn't really understand and had to look up. But it is uh, great for teachers looking for you know, engaging students more. And it really does show the complexity of and the long time involved because the game, the model is over several years. So it really does show the complexity, but also, eh, you know, a little gratification and plunking your volunteers down and making other improvements that uh, show nature getting healthier over a decade in the game. I wouldn't play this. You can, so you can go right now to mywatershed.ca, which stands for cool and awesome. And, um, and so I went to mywatershed.com and played it. And, and it is a little bit in development, I think. Um, I couldn't quite get the tutorial to work, so I didn't know it was, but it was kind of fun. Uh, but the, one of the little stats is, uh, like the population of red side dace, which is kind of a cool little fish, an indicator species. Um, and anyway, without going into details of my rounds of playing this, I uh, I, I killed a lot of red side <laughs> I was just going to say, did you kill off all the fish? <laughs> Not all. No, I quit before. Sewage everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> Not on purpose. It's better I just better to get virtual, you know, virtual problems before <laughs> deciding where to really put your volunteers. <laughs> no, it, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, anyway, it's better than I do it virtually. That's a good point. You know, it is, it is, you do wish it were so easy to go and just click volunteer and then people will volunteer, but you know, what's not hard going to greatlakesnow.org and clicking that blue donate button. So go do that people. But until then, Sandra, thank you for such a lovely season of giving. I think, I think our next Great Lakes news is going to be next calendar year, believe what? it or not. Well, because, um, we're booked. Yeah, uh, we have ah, a bunch of specials. People are going to miss me, Stuart. They are going to miss you. They are going to miss you. Well, they can I... still come to our site and see all the stories on their own. They can. But I will miss you too. Yes, yes. But, but, but <laughs> we'll be back next year and, and we'll be seeing you as part of Ask Dr. Fish, we think, right? Um, oh, yeah, we will. We're going to uh, be streaming that for you. And, stay tuned. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, stay tuned for details. Some of that. In between now and then, uh, let's hear the lovely stylings of Clint Carpenter in the Great Lakes Now theme. today with Laura Rubin. She is the executive director of the Healing Our Waters Great Lakes Coalition, and you can find out more about what they do at healthylakes.org. Laura, how are you today? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to talk to you both. Yeah, we're excited too. So are you over, y'all have offices in Ann Arbor and um, in DC, if I understand, right? Are you in DC or are you in Ann Arbor? I am in Ann Arbor. We also now have staff in Chicago too. But yes, we have staff throughout the Great Lakes. And then we also work with a lot of our member organizations that are our state leads. So in all of the Great Lakes states, we have organizations that work on our behalf too. So when you say work on our behalf, let's talk about what, what exactly is it that y'all do? You know, big picture. It's a big organization with a lot of people working on a lot of uh, very interesting projects. But what is it that y'all do big picture at the Healing Our Waters Great Lakes Coalition? Yeah, so we are a true coalition. We're a coalition of there's local, state, regional advocates, and we work together to establish a Great Lakes restoration and protection as a national conservation priority. So we've been around for about 17 years, and we are really sort of harnessing the collective power of over 175 NGOs, representing millions of people, whose common goal is to restore and protect the Great Lakes. So again, really focused at the federal level, federal policies, programs, et cetera, um, but really trying to bring all the people together in the Great Lakes to have a more collective and powerful voice. That's really cool. And um, so how exactly did you get started with this very large coalition? Yeah, um, so it didn't start as large. Um, but, you know, back in the early 2000s, um, Peter Weggy and a few other Great Lakes leaders um, pulled together about 100 Great Lakes leaders um, because we noticed that the Great Lakes wasn't getting a lot of federal attention. Um, we saw a lot of attention going to the Everglades and a lot of money and a lot going to the Chesapeake. And when we talked to members of the administration and Congress, we got the sense that there wasn't a united voice out of the region. There wasn't a clear need. And so really, it took us a couple years as Great Lakes advocates to develop what is our ask, what is, you know, what is from a scientific point of view, what are the needs out of the region, and then to really have a united voice that went back to D.C. and said, this is what we need as a region. And out of that grew the How Coalition, as we're affectionately called, Healing Our Waters, How Coalition. And we've really tried to tap into the, you know, the, the power of the NGO community. And at that time, too, um, you know, we got our first president from the Great Lakes or most recent president, Obama, and we got GLRI, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative which, you know, has now cumulatively given just a little shy of $4 million to the region or brought that back and is has averaged around 300 to 350 million a year to the region. And that's just huge. You know, it, it's probably, if not the largest, one of the largest national ecosystem restoration projects. And the Howe Coalition has really been the, the main advocate for the continuation of this program, the implementation of this program, et cetera. Um, and, you know, since we have expanded to other issues, but, you know, talking sort of about our origin story, that's where we really started and, and grew out of. Great. That's great. So what are a couple of the other kind of key issues that you're working on um, in 2022? Yeah, well, you know, as I say, this was sort of an evolution. First, it really started off on, on GLRI and, you know, we, we didn't have much power when we started off and, and that, that power has grown. And probably about five years ago, um, the, the board of the coalition started to say, hey, you know, we've been very successful at GLRI, but there's a lot of other pressing issues in the Great Lakes. And we took on, 
you know, a few other issues, water infrastructure, um, you know, the glaring water infrastructure crisis that we have in the Great Lakes region. Uh, we took on clean water rollbacks or clean water protection. We took on nutrients and algal blooms um, and invasive species. And those have really been our key priority areas. You know, umbrella, you know, things fall under that, like lead service lines and PFAS and other issues plaguing the Great Lakes. But those are really our five key issue areas. So help me understand how you get this work done, though. So you're talking about these are not small areas. Not one of these areas is small. But I'm at your staff webpage and I see seven people. Um, And it takes seven people just to get me on my email, I feel like. So how how are you able to do so much with such a small group of... uh, of staff. Well, so this is where you're harnessing the collective power of a coalition. You know, we're not your typical NGO um, in that, you know, we are, are paying our state leads to work on our behalf. We are convening people. We're bringing every year, we host Great Lakes Days where we bring over 100 people to D.C. to talk about these issues. We're uh, this next week, we're doing a virtual fall fly-in. Um and so, you know, we, we do a lot of sign-on letters. So we're really using the strength of all of these member organizations. So, uh, you know, the, the coalition staff, my staff, I have two policy experts who are in D.C. I have two people who just do communications, telling the, the needs of the stories out of the region, plus also the success stories. And then I have two people who really do field and, and outreach, equity and outreach um, and that's really building those relationships throughout the region. So, you know, for instance, um, you know, two years ago um, when uh, it was clear that we were going to start to get an infrastructure package, we really kicked into gear with our researchers and our policy people about making sure that the Great Lakes was top of mind in those discussions. So getting information about what are the needs for water infrastructure over the next 20 years over $188 billion in need out of the Great Lakes, you know, getting those figures to members of Congress and their staff, making the case that the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative needed an extra billion dollars, which we got. And that was very, you know, that was a very thoughtful and methodical process of going through our areas of concern, our most polluted sites throughout the Great Lakes and quantifying what projects were needed to clean up those areas. Um, So a lot of it is a combination of sort of research and needs and talking to our partners and then communicating that and then turning that into policy and advocacy work. So that's interesting. Um, uh, So one thing you said that was a problem with uh, originally getting Great Lakes funding was that it was hard to have one voice, right? Um, yes. In Congress. And that makes sense. Like you think about the Everglades, that's all in Florida, which is a very politically important state as uh, well, that's all I've said about that. And um, <laughs> and so then you had to bring all these voices together. But it almost sounds like then as soon as you get all those voices together, ask for more funding, you start sending you know people out into the world again and you have all these different partner organizations. So is there a, a tension there between trying to ha- leverage all these people and have one voice or is that what you see your job as? How does, how do, what do you think about that? Oh, that, that's, that's probably one of my biggest parts of my job is I think a coalition is most successful when you have healthy tension. Um, and, and we have it, you know, starting off just on Great Lakes restoration, um, that's not as difficult to get people behind. You know, it, it's a big tent. Um, our region feels a very strong regional identity. 
you know, we have our, our stickers, our sweatshirts, you know, we, we all know that outline of the Great Lakes. We feel very loyal to it. You know, we're called the Rust Belt and we want to make that comeback. And yes, exactly. There you go. The, the, the famous, the infamous sticker. Um, but you know, that tent is really broad and it includes hunters and anglers. It includes ports. It includes people who love to go to the beaches. It includes people who love to go out in nature and take photography. It includes people who bird watch. It includes, you know, the economic community. You know, we've done two studies that have made the case about the economic impact of Great Lakes restoration. For every dollar coming into the region for GLRI, we're getting a $3 return in economic impact. You know, the businesses are very on board with this. And, and so it's been able to be a bipartisan issue which, you know, show me another bipartisan issue right now like that, that, you know, but, you know, we, we have had that. We've had a lot of strong support on, on both sides of the aisle. And even under the Trump administration, when he would zero this out, you know, by that afternoon, that was back in there, you know, we representative Heisinga or, you know, some of our Republican members really calling him up and saying, this is very important to me and to my constituents. And, and so, you know, we have that collective voice. I, I don't want to say it's easy, you know, um, because we've got frontline groups. We've got more of the conservative hunting and angling groups. We have the Shed Aquarium. We have nature preserves. You know, we have a really wide array. Um, but when you bring it back to the Great Lakes region and Great Lakes health and the communities of the Great Lakes um, people really come together on that. It doesn't mean that, you know, all of our NGOs agree with every single thing that we do. Um, you know, when we started working on water infrastructure and specifically on water affordability, not all of our partner groups signed on to all of those letters. And that's fine. You know, we know that some of our letters of support are going to have, you know, the whole constituency and others are going to have half of them or something like that. And And it's just sort of managing that what, what I call healthy tension under the big tent. That's really um, kind of like nice and refreshing to know that people can work together and decide sometimes we don't have to, you know, but then we can come back and work together on something else. That's really fantastic. So um, it's been really great to, to hear about uh, what kind of work you're doing. If someone wanted to get involved, um, how would you suggest they do that? Like, could they volunteer or what could they potentially do? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because again, this is a coalition. I, I came from running an NGO, which you would always, you know, jump in and say, of course you can volunteer. We as a coalition don't have volunteer activities immediately. We really work with our member organizations. So I would suggest that people go to healthylakes.org. You can check out our member organizations and see who aligns with your interests or your geography and volunteer there. Um, similarly, um, look at our state leads. So in each state, we have organizations that are state leads. And I'd reach out to them because those are also state leads who are looking for members to travel to DC or contact their member of Congress and talk about, tell their story about why the Great Lakes is important to them. And so we're always looking for people to share their stories and their ideas. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the most effective things that we do in, in addition to sort of the advocacy work though, is just telling the story out of the region, telling how 
people care about this resource, what the needs are, how GLRI is impacting their lives, the differences that they see. And we're looking for really diverse stories, you know, not just, you know, I, I want clean water, but you know how a small business started because they had ample water supply or, you know, the cherry business or whatever it might be, or, you know, Indiana has a national park now and the importance of that to the region and what it brings and the birders, et cetera. So, so yes, I would, I would have you visit our, the website. So we'll, uh, we'll put a link to that in our show notes at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 70, the number seven zero. Cause if I'm doing my math, right. This is episode 70 and you have it. It's all laid out. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. You have all your partners there. You have, um, you can click on issues. Uh, you can click on in your state. So just a ton of stuff and, and everybody, I recommend go to this page now and, and find somebody and, uh, you know, interact with either the, the, the how coalition, um, directly or one of these partner institutions, cause they're doing yeah. a lot of, a lot of great work. Well, uh, the, Laura, the last thing I will add on that real quick is we do have an annual conference. Um, I forgot to mention that. And that's an opportunity to get involved. We just held it in Milwaukee about three weeks ago, but we will be hosting another one probably in the fall of 2023 throughout the Great Lakes. And that's usually a couple hundred activists coming together. Um, We do field trips, we have a reception, and then it's a lot of learning and workshops. That's interesting. Well, Laura Rubin, this has been really fascinating to talk to you about the How Coalition and all the great work you're doing and how our listeners can help. But that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. And the first one is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose? I would choose the sandwich. Gotta go sandwich. I, I've got to go sandwich. Um, I am a lover of really good bread, really good meaty dense bread. I'm a lover of really good cheese and I'm a lover of some good spicy lettuce, arugula, something like that. And then other sauces, spices on that. Bring it on. There it is. Okay. So when I go to Ann Arbor next to visit, uh, um, maybe whomever I go to visit, uh, for whatever reason. Where should I go to get a really good sandwich? There's a couple. <laughs> so am I supposed I'm to trying to hold my... up a Z. I'm waiting for the Zingerman's, oh, which is the you're common. waiting for the Zingerman's. <laughs> Zingerman's is a common one. I would also say that um, Eat has very good food. Eat. Eat and the Detroit Filling Station. Really Detroit good Filling sandwiches. Station. All right. Well, everybody can find links to those in our show notes as well. Yeah, I'm I'm always sandwich. I'm team sandwich all the way. So <laughs> I genuinely will check things out next time. I'm, I'm um, but our second question we wanted to ask is, what is a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience? And what makes it special? Um, there's so many of them. And I, I hate to choose favorites, but... Um, I find the area very special that's sort of between Saugatuck and Holland in, in Michigan, on Lake Michigan. It, um, it has some amazing sand dunes. Um, I know down by where you guys are around Indiana Dunes and Warren Dunes also has great sand dunes. But Saugatuck State Park has some amazing dunes and it's been expanded. And then that area north of there, beautiful beaches and What's unique to me about it is um, it's been protected enough that you can get beyond the sand dunes and that that unique ecosystem between the sand dunes and the woods um, is just beautiful there. And um, I've been able to go to that place 
um, throughout my life and see the changes and, and really enjoy it. Well, Laura Rubin, Executive Director Healing of the Healing Our Waters Great Lakes Coalition, or HOW Coalition, as insiders call it. Uh, everybody go to HealthyLakes.org, check out their work, and thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the work you do and about the Great Lakes. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. So it was great to hear uh, from Laura about the, the wonderful work they're doing at the Healing Our Waters Coalition. But that is not the only interview that we have this week. That's right. After the Lake House of Terror, we have to do a double palate cleanser, as it were. And so we're also really excited to talk to a couple of people about something that's near and dear to my heart, a, a biking trail, which I never heard about uh, in the Great Lakes. So let's just jump straight to that interview right now. Our guests today are uh, Marlene Kohler, uh, who is the executive director of the Waterfront Regeneration Trust, and also David uh, Meyer. He's a project director. A couple of directors with us today from the Waterfront Re Regeneration Trust, and we're excited to hear about the work they do. Marlene and David, how are you today? Fine. Thank you so much for having us. Great. We are so glad to have you on. Yeah. So uh, first of all, so we go to your website and, and we see about the waterfront trail and it looks really cool and the Regeneration Trust. Tell us, what, what, what is this exactly? What is the, let's start with the waterfront uh, trail. Tell me about this. What is the, the waterfront trail? Well, the waterfront trail uh, is um, an initiative that's about 30 years old now. Um, uh, we've been working on it as a way to redefine a new relationship to our Great Lakes. It, um, it flew out of a set of recommendations that came from a royal commission headed by David Crombie. But um, today, the trail, which I'll talk more about that later, but today the trail is about 3,600 kilometers long. It goes from the Quebec border, uh, hugs the shoreline wherever it can, digs in as it needs to, and go, uh, it, it lands in Sault Ste. Marie. And we're currently working on the expansion around uh, Lake Superior, where, um, you know, we would cross the border again at Nibing and Grand Portage. So it's a beautiful uh, combination of roads and trails. Uh, it's scenic. It's urban and natural. Um, I know that it is beautiful because... We get people uh, on the trail every year and they absolutely rave about it. So first off, I'd like to give a shout out to the use of kilometers um, uh, because yay, Canada. Um, but there's, um, so does it fully go all the way along like Lake Ontario, like, like, so starting Quebec border. So it would be the St. Lawrence Seaway and then Lake Ontario around the falls, Lake Erie, and then up around Lake Huron and oh, goodness gracious. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> So it does uh, follow that course, but sometimes it has to go quite inland and it may have to go quite inland. That's in order to deal with, uh, you know, erosion, um, private land ownership. But yes, the, the goal is to get as close to the water's edge as possible. And where we can't be close to create these uh, spokes that get people to the water's edge. And um, yeah, it is, uh, it's quite an experience. And it is continuous. It's fully signed. You can start in Quebec and you can end in Sault Ste. Marie. That's amazing. And if you want to see a map of the trail, incidentally, you can go to their website at waterfronttrail.org slash map and you can see it. And you can even buy, uh, it looks like a map booklet. Uh, so that might be, uh, you know what? It's the giving season. It might be worth doing. But so to put this in context for those of us who aren't um, from 
Canada aren't familiar with, you said it's about 3,600 kilometers. That's the length of the Appalachian Trail, right? Which is this sort of famous hiking trail in the U.S. And uh, I, I happen to know offhand, because I Googled it, that it's about 3,500 kilometers. And, and so it's the, the same distance there. That's impressively long. How do you... I have so many questions. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Where did this idea come from? So you said it was born out of this, this notion 30 years ago, but, but why like a biking trail? Why, why is this the way that you decided to, to do this? Sure. Well, I will, I will go back to the beginning, which was uh, 1988. We, um, we had in Toronto, I don't know if you know the city of Toronto. It's a pretty big city in Canada. <laughs> so we think everybody knows Toronto. <laughs> happen to know. Actually, well, hold on. Here we go. Oh, I got to cut you off here because there is one thing I know about Toronto. This is famous within our um, program, but first there's a little music. So hold on. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Today's Great Lakes factoid is that Toronto is the biggest city in the Great Lakes. How about that? I I didn't realize how educational this was going to there be. There we go. Super educational. Yes. Yeah, so anyway... <laughs> If you still have your train of thought after I interrupted it. That's right. So we started off in Toronto there. Uh, we had some uh, federal land holdings in Toronto around Harborfront. And the idea was those lands were going to be turned into beautiful parkland because really, as we well know, the Great Lakes uh, used to be a great place for recreation about the 1800s. Along came the railways and really replaced all that recreation and holiday with industry. And as the railways left and industry left, they left a bunch of vacant, underutilized, often scarred and ugly waterfronts. So much so that people really had turned their backs on it and lost any sense of what potential existed for the Great Lakes. So Torontonians were getting a little annoyed with what was happening about the under-fulfillment of the promise to make a real park there. And that led the then Prime Minister, Brian Mulroney, to establish a royal commission. And David Crombie, the Honourable David Crombie, um, headed up the commission. And that's a government, uh, you know, examination of what's the problem? Why aren't we moving forward? And and the neat thing about David Crombie is he also was a mayor. He was a very, very popular mayor. His nickname is the Tiny Perfect Mayor because he's... It's short. Uh, He's just an amazing man. And when he came to the federal uh, lands and started looking at it and started holding public hearings, he heard overwhelmingly the frustration and the anger from people that just said, why can't we have a waterfront that where we can swim, where we can fish, where we know the water is drinkable, where we can come and just uh, sit quietly or tour all along it. That's the way we want our waterfront to be. And uh, David Crombie um, quickly recognized that the issue is no longer about this little piece of parkland down at Harborfront. It really was about a watershed and that we weren't just looking at the lakes, at the Great Lakes. We had to look at the the river valleys and the rivers that were flowing into them. And it became a massive interjurisdictional and multidisciplinary examination into what we needed to do to regenerate the waterfront. And we, you know, people ask us, why do we use the word regeneration? And it was largely because we were thinking, especially in Canada, the Great Lakes has way more urbanization on it. And so the goal was about revitalizing and regenerating 
our cities and connecting our cities back to nature and bringing nature back into our cities and regenerating them. Almost rebranding the idea of the city as being part of an ecosystem and not really uh, antithet uh, antithetical to them. So that uh, Royal Commission, uh, after talking to thousands and thousands of people and hearing over and over and over again about what we need is a trail. Because the problem is we're not at the waterfront. So as Jane Jacobs would say, there aren't eyes on it to keep hold policymakers and decision makers uh, to account about what they are doing and to force the kinds of investments that were needed to transform the waterfront. So David Crombie's uh, Royal Commission on the Future of the Toronto Waterfront led to the final report called Regeneration. Regeneration had uh, 81 groundbreaking land use policy um, uh, recommendations and and one of them was to create the Great Lakes Waterfront Trail and Greenway. And we have been working on that steadily uh, since 1992 and quite pleased that uh, we are where we are. We've already talked about how many kilometers it is. We didn't bother to convert it to miles. For your we don't have to. No, we, we don't, don't have, have to. to. It's, uh, it's uh, 14 miles. Actually, I just did the math. 14 miles. No, so. it's quit it. So, um, so that's really, really fantastic. Um, so the first thing is the, the discussion of on the Canadian side, how it's more urbanized than on the U.S. side. Like it was a personal moment of triumph for me when Stuart had made this really clever um, question for our staff. And I was like, it's it's not Chicago. It's, it's <laughs> Toronto. So um, so that's really, really cool to think about. But um, so I maybe a question for Dave, who has like, is it? Correct to assume that you've sort of played a big role in actually making the trail be a trail that's functional and people like that. Is that part of your job? Yeah, yeah. I came onto the trust about six years ago and I've been in charge of the trail expansion project and, and wayfinding since then. And um and just as a as a kick-in to give you an idea of the of the growth, um, you know, when Marlene was talking about the trail and its inception. Since that was instituted and I came on in 2016, January 2016, it was about 1600 kilometers long. And obviously now it's 36. So it's grown over, it's grown over twice the length in the last six years. Um, so it's quite a bit of growth. How do you, how do you grow so quickly then? Like what, uh, I mean, obviously you get an amazing project director, program director, or whatever. Yep. Sure. That's step one. But then once you bring him in, what is step two in terms of growing it so quickly? You know, a big part of it was, was always interest. Like it, the, it's, the expansions have largely been driven by the by the community partners just on the outside of the terminus. So it's so we you know we end in Huron County at one point, and then it's Bruce County when we're talking. You know we start talking to them. How can you know can you bring the trail to us? And and a lot of this is partnership, right? Obviously, it's a lot of it is partnership. Um, you know we have a fantastic partnership, and um, and it's that that uh, is a big driver behind the expansion of the trail and cycling itself. Um, obviously the the winds have kind of changed with regards to uh, cycling as a as a tourism uh, amenity. Uh, you know the interest is, has widened quite a bit, and um, and you know AT um, transportation infrastructure is and the interest in and you know support for that has grown quite a bit as well. So in lockstep with that, we have quite a bit of opportunity to grow the trail. 
I do, I do want to ask a question about each. I'm going to make each of you pick your favorite part of the trail. But if you want to say something first, Marlene, I'll give you a minute to think about yeah, it. I, just very quickly, uh, you know, I wanted to add one of the secrets of success that we learned the hard way was to build a trail like this. You start with the existing infrastructure. So you go to the communities that want to be a part of the trail and you say, what do you got now? And what are your dreams? How can we help you reach for your dreams? But we're going to sign the route today. And unless it's a real big, big problem, we manage our gaps by going inland to a safer route, but it needs to be continuous. We need to guarantee that people can follow the route. That was a game changer for us when we came up with that new policy before that, back in the 90s, people wouldn't even sign the trail if it couldn't be right at the water's edge, right? Uh, so that, that was number one, very important. Number two, it, it is definitely more than just a cycling trail, but we focus on the cycling uh, piece of it because that's where we could really make a difference. In 2002, we went out, we surveyed park users, but we learned the cyclists who stopped and filled out our survey, they were the ones that knew you could travel from one community to the next community and they had a way to do that. And our community partners wanted to attract tourists. And in order to attract a tourist, you needed a longer stay. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll pick cycling as the key market that we're going to um, address and, and speak to because there's uh, a lot of economic benefits that are associated with cycle tourism. And, and that's what we do. And that complements the local initiatives that are largely more park-based, more walk-based. They have programs, they have festivals to do that. We could do something that could promote the trail-wide experience by offering a multi-day cycle tour, for example. Huh. So how many um how many how many people do I'm I'm envisioning a cycle trail like how many people use it Do you have stats on that like use this per year Uh you know I assume very few people actually do all thirty six hundred kilometers Maybe somebody does every year I wouldn't be surprised if that's more of a aspirational thing Um but but like how many people do you think like go from city to city Is that a is that a popular thing to do Yes that's a very popular thing to do And I you know um. A cyclist can easily do 60 kilometers a day. I mean, not so, all cyclists. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and e-bikes are certainly helping. Yes, so that's, yes. you know, it, depending on where you are, you might see two or three different cities or communities certainly go by a lot of wetlands and, and natural areas as you're uh, riding along it. Uh, about, so how many people, yeah, do you have numbers just out of curiosity? Oh, I was going to say, I, not to the numbers, because I don't have figures on on the usage. Um, but just speaking from personal experience as a, you know, as a, a resident of Hamilton, um, you know, where the trail has been for many, many years, and seeing the waterfront trail signs, you know, when I was younger, uh, I didn't understand the scope of it. And there's an inspirational element to realizing that you can go to the next community over, and that's part of what grabbed that's part of what grabbed me. And um, you know, so I started folding in when I could, like a bike back from the office in Etobicoke to Hamilton when I could and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm might be part of that demographic, but I am, 
an example of it as well. The city of Mississauga, which is a neighbor to Toronto, they have over a million visits to their waterfront uh, through a season. It is the most popular trail in that city. And I don't have stats for each of the cities that no, I can yeah. add up. Yeah. But, but it sounds it like is, a great resource kind of regardless. And I've just done the math. So 60 kilometers is 37 miles, which is just a little bit more than the range on my e-bike. So I am totally in. Next time I happen to be in um, Toronto with my bike, uh, which maybe, maybe um, coming May, uh, everybody stay tuned. There will be a Teach Me About the Great Lakes live opportunity from Toronto in all likelihood, assuming my abstract gets accepted. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm totally there. But so when I am there, I think the next question is, you got to tell me, so this is a long trail. Where is the place? If I'm going to jump in, uh, I want you, I think Carolyn was alluding to this, pick a really great place to jump in on the trail uh, where you can see something really awesome. Oh my God. Well, Toronto has a very stunning waterfront and it is an easy jump in place, but I would also, uh, I pick Kingston and I put it on my list. The city of Kingston is, first of all, we have an international crossing and that is one of our upcoming goals is to make these bi-national connections. So the Great Lakes Waterfront Trail is a real bi-national experience, but you can come over and uh, visit uh, Wolf Island, which is a really cool place and a great place to cycle. It's quiet. It's got some great restaurants and then take a ferry over to Kingston and you're in a beautiful section of the waterfront trail no matter if you go left or right uh that's I picked that one I have lots of others but I there I go I've, I've laid it down all right so I'm going to Kingston but Carolyn and I can't bike together uh because of a long-standing dispute so Carolyn needs to go somewhere else too where should Carolyn go Dave oh man that is still a tough question and let me let me just throw one more thing in for Kingston uh, that goes into Marlene and I's trip to Wolf Island, by the way, because uh, we went there during uh, migratory season for snowy owls. And so we saw just tons of them out there, which was really, really cool. Awesome. Um, so that's one other one other side thing for, for the Kingston trip. Which is great. Um, but man, I got to say, like, if you want to see something cool and it's you in your really like intro level, you just want to kind of dip your toes in the water. Any of the urban sections of the of the trail in the GTA, like Toronto, Mississauga, you know, Burlington, Oakville, they all have um, great parks that you can visit the waterfront on and long and long extents of uh, off-road trail in a lot of these communities where you can go along, especially um, you know, especially the Toronto waterfront, just um, going from end to end, you got there's 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 lots to see, lots of beaches and um, you know in Hamilton back where I'm from as well, you, you know, you got, we got a waterfront trail that goes right along the beach to a lift bridge and you go over to Burlington where there's another park. There's, there's lots of stuff. So it's, it's really, really hard to nail that down. Um, where the spot is, uh, you know, we work with 155 communities and we work with them uh, specifically to identify a place where somebody can go and visit. So um, that's a tough, tough question, but that those are easy ones. So we have 155 options at least. That sounds awesome. At least. Yeah. At least. <laughs> Cool. So um, one of the things we're trying to get at in this overall episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes is kind of how people, if people want to get involved with an organization like yours, um, what types of things could they do? And so um, we noted that this is a signature project of the Waterfront Regeneration Trust. And so as kind of our, not quite our wrap-up question, but um, one of our wrap-up questions that is probably the more serious one. Um, 
See, now I'm going to go down a whole thing about like the sandwich and donut thing gets serious. But um, how could, if you want to tell us a bit about the Waterfront Regeneration Trust and just if somebody wants to help out, um, what could they potentially do? That would be great. The Waterfront Regeneration Trust, we're a small outfit, as you can see, pretty much we're here. We have a tour director that works with us as well. If you want to help us, one of the uh, favorite volunteer opportunities with us is to come on our annual cycle tour. We take five or six days and we celebrate a portion of the Waterfront Trail, usually around 500 kilometers. And uh, we have cycling volunteers, that they're amazing. They ride along, cheerlead you, they'll change your tire if your tire is broken, they'll have water, they'll call. We make it easy for people to ride with us on the Great Lakes Waterfront Trail and more importantly, to stop and enjoy all the beaches, the great places along the way, get an ice cream, buy a have a beer at a brewery um to us it sit down at a picnic table and speak to a first nations elder about what their community is like and and what they aspire for their waterfront these are the things that we do on uh the ride we call the great waterfront trail adventure and that is a really important volunteer opportunity for us it's how we celebrate the progress, point out the challenges, and uh, really cultivate a sense of stewardship and appreciation for the Great Lakes. That's wonderful. Another way that people can help out, and you may be too uh, demure to say this, but you can go to waterfronttrail.org slash donate, and you can help out with cash money as another way to help out. And uh, cash, is, cash is nice too, but but I think that uh, participating in the Waterfront Trail or adventure, if you're there, that sounds really, really fantastic. Just kind of a celebration as well. Yeah, we might actually have a colleague who would come do that. So we're like, I'm going to tell her about it. <laughs> well, we would love to have her. And, uh, you know, we bring ambassadors along all the time. We have politicians riding this thing. So we would love to definitely let us know about uh, Kirsten. That yeah, we will. We will. Well, this is all really interesting. And I'm really uh, buoyed, I guess, to hear about the work you're doing. I do want to come try the trail. I'll come during the summer because um, I, I don't know how cold it gets, but colder than I want it to be probably. Um, but that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is ask two questions. The first one is this. If you could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose? And we'll go one at a time and we'll start. Uh, Marlene, you can start. Oh, so we have to pick one or the other. One meal. or the other. Yeah, yeah. No, no, this oh, is... Okay. Well, then I will pick. I will pick the fritter from Batchawana. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And which was introduced to me by David Meyer. Uh, It is along the new section of Lake Superior. And it is just, uh, and and by the way, it's hard to get. You sometimes have to stand in line. And if you don't get there early enough, you won't get any, which. (laughs) Where's your cookers? Limit of six. Limit of six. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And yeah, you see why I, earlier I was like, wait, it does get a little bit serious when you have to pick the donut. This is the only, it's not a joke that this is why we invite people on. I mean, the other stuff is nice, but let's get down to brass tacks here. It's time to oh, talk this turkey. Is, this is a dead serious question. Yeah. <laughs> so how about you, David? Are you uh, are you also a, a sandwich or a donut for breakfast person? You go in sandwich for lunch. No, you know, I would have, I would have leaned for the sandwich for lunch, but that fritter is amazing. But, uh, but and, and mine would be, you know, and and I found like two versions of this. This, this is going back to Wolf Island again because the first place I found this was at a place in Wolf Island. This like meatball sub that ended up being fantastic. 
but they discontinued it from their menu. I don't know if it's still on there. Um, but there was a, but I found it again, basically like the same thing in a, in a restaurant in Espanola. They're super, they're super meatball sandwich, I think it is. And it is like, I will go there anytime we go past, uh, you know, we're up in the area. I will dovetail down into Espanola and grab one of these. There. Nice. You can, what's the name of the restaurant? Do you happen to remember the name? Cort, Cortina. Cortina. Cortina and Espinola. So if you find yourself in Cortina. Is that near the trail? Can you take the bike trail to the. Yeah. So- yeah. You know, it's the, the, the route goes into Espinola. So it's maybe a couple blocks away from Cortina, but, uh, okay. but we are on a bike. It's not that hard, right? Just- I think they're closed Mondays and Tuesdays or something, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of loving how much you know about this. <laughs> well, no, yeah. You know, to, in all seriousness, one of the things in, in getting in looking at the, the sections of the trail, as we grow the trail, I, you know, it's not specifically part of my job, but one of the things that I do is I try, I really try and go out and, and love these communities and find not just what you can do as you're going past uh, or the things that you can do to engage it, but the things that you love. And I find something I love in, in every one of these places. So it's like when you're talking about the places to engage, yeah, 155 easy, like, you know, we'll find something. So, you know, open, open invitation. If you're in, if you're on the Canadian side of the Great Lakes and you're wondering where, where do I go in this community, let us know and we'll find something for you because, there's, there's going to be something that we know about. That's really great. And that leads us into our, our final question, um, which again is for both of you. But um, what is a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience and what makes it special? And I mean, acknowledging that we've just been talking about something that sounds pretty incredible. So, um, David, do you want to go first this time? Yeah, you know what? Sure. Uh, a lot of these are tied to, to moments to me. Um, so I've got. I think I would. I would. I would give a couple again, but because um, it's real hard to nail down. Um, but uh, uh, one place uh, I would. I would say the the Pinery Provincial Park, uh, which we went to on one of the GWTA tours a, a few years ago. Uh, we watched the Perside meteor shower from that spot during the tour, which was a fantastic memory. Um, uh, just recently, um, I spent like uh, you know maybe a half an hour at the Red Chairs in Terrace Bay, Ontario, where we're looking at expanding the the trail just on the sort of on the edge of Lake Superior watching the sunset at a quiet moment when we were doing some work up in that area. And, um, and yeah, just like, you know, the, the bluffs of, uh, of, of Bruce County from the water, like the lion's head bluffs are, are beautiful. Um, man, I don't, and I could, I, sorry, I could keep going on. I'll, I'll stop there, but those are, those are three really, really great ones. That's a great examples. And Marlene? Okay, so for me, I'm going to pick the first one, Thixon's Wood, which is in Whitby. And the reason why I'm picking it, it's a last uh, remain, it's a remnant white pine forest, those tall white masts that uh, used to uh, fuel the shipping. And the reason why this place is so special to me is because nobody thought it was special. But a group of people came together and they bought it with their own money. And they created a land trust and they've even bought surrounding meadow land around it to further protect it because they saw it it could be something special and they turned it into something special and i love those people for doing that and the other area that i'm going to point to is um, the long sioux parkway which is along the saint lawrence river it's one of the favorite parts it's close to cornwall so again an easy just dart on over on the international bridge and head towards uh toronto bound uh which is west and you will uh see this beautiful it's what you see are the mounds 
of the islands left over after they inundated the land to deepen the seaway to accommodate ships. So you're really walking on tops. You've probably covered this story before. It's such a fascinating story and beautiful beaches, beautiful campgrounds and a great, great ride. Not hilly either. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And I mean, admittedly, you have uh, kind of um, a different perspective on which places are really special than uh, many of our guests do. So I think each of you picking a couple is totally, totally valid. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And it, it does drive home that idea of, right, part of what makes it special is is uh, the fact that people have taken it and made something of it. That's really awesome. And I think in, in many ways, it's sort of the, 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 the tale of regeneration, if you will. Yes. <laughs> Well, uh, Marlene Kohler, Executive Director, and David Meyer, Project Director, both of the Waterfront Regeneration Trust, thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. That's a great number of people that we were able to chat with today about, um, you know, it's really, really cool. I'm glad we're doing this annually to sort of chat with people who are trying to improve things for everybody. I agree. I agree. It's a really nice tradition. And, and uh, you know, we sort of said it flippantly, and, and th but they did mention a number of places where people can help, right? And, and, and sometimes it is money. And so Lord knows with inflation and everything else, um, I understand. Uh, but if, you know, you can throw some money their way, I recommend you do that. But if not, go to, just go to websites, right? Tweet about it. Um, all that's good. Those are all uh, really great things. And if nothing else, just take a second to appreciate what they're doing. Yeah, and go in. Um, so the Healing Our Waters Coalition, they said, um, you know, you could go look at all of their organizations and see sort of who's doing work near you. And it sort of sounds like the water trail, particularly if you're on the uh, Canadian side, you could go see kind of what's happening in your community, too. So that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, send them feedback. Hey, if you have a favorite place you like to bike in the Great Lakes, why don't you send that to us? Teach me about the Great Lakes at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about that. And one last call to action. That's what we call this in the industry, a call to action. Uh, it is not too late not too late to nominate things for the Lakeys. It's almost too late, but it is not too late. Uh, so look in your show notes or go to bit.ly slash Lakeys22. That's capital L-A-K-I-E-S 22 uh, to nominate things for the Lakeys. And um, this year we're not featuring as many on the show, but we are featuring them on social media and these Lakeys nominations, even if teams or even if uh, nominees don't win, we will feature them kind of throughout the year. We're going to spread it a little more over the year. So it's not so concentrated. And also, I forgot, this year, Lakey's winners will get Teach Me About the Great Lakes swag and uh, official certificates. So, uh, I mean, what's better than that, right? Nothing. I mean, nothing at all. All right. <laughs> Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at ILINC Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. At least for now. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Rini Miles. 
Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and we encourage you to check her work out at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. Thanks for listening and keep creating those lakes. So we'll record the introduction, Carolyn, in the introduction. So we need to apologize for the last episode, which was a Halloween one. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> If I'd known it was sailing, I would have been in it. I well, there we go. You on everything. That was a, yeah. She's like a ridiculous, ridiculous. So you got the impression that we don't know anything about sailing. Perhaps. I mean, I'm not Why sure did... how many mizzen masts are on the Great Lakes. It's not the normal rig for these waters. Uh, still, I'll just have to trust you on that. killed yeah. me. Anyway. Geneva, where she's hoist like, it. hoist it. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right yeah. anyway all right. that's why okay. we do that episode every year um is it's fun <laughs>